when he comes into the bathroom to begin with, it, it's uh, described that there are two other people in the bathroom at the same time who are not his bullies and who watch this entire shit happen and do nothing. And then after the bullies leave, they look down at Tobias and they're like, oh, are you okay? Your life doesn't have to be like this. You don't have to be a victim all the time. There's a way out. You don't have to be all alone, man. You don't have to be anyone's punching bag. And they give him a card that says the sharing on it, and they walk away. And, like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. It's so gross that... And, I mean, I have to assume that these are already yerked kids. Yes, yes. Because, like, we know how little care the yerks have for humans we we've seen it but there is like something deeply upsetting about the notion of just these two kids these two boys just bearing witness to that and doing nothing about it yeah and then just using it as fuel to lure tobias in like it's Mm -hmm. it's so gross it's so disgusting and like it not in the in the way that in other books things have been disgusting because they've been written in a gross Poorly. way, but like this this is written in a very realistic way, and I hate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there, we we content warning for for cult tactics at the beginning because like the sharing goes really fucking hard on Tobias. Um. Mm-hmm. And it works because those kind of cult tactics work on people. Um, it even, even people who are less vulnerable than Tobias, those kind of things work on. Like this, this kid had little to no chance once they had him in his sight, in their sights. Like it, God, it's so much. Mm hmm. It's just very, and this is sort of the first thing we really see. Obviously, this is the first person we see after. There's like the notion that he had no reason to stay with the mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. He didn't meet El Fangor and have that moment of connection. And so he's just so incredibly lonely. Yeah. And. and- even if it was the case that Marco didn't want him around, which could be true, might not be true. Because what matters is that's how Tobias interpreted things. Mm-hmm. And just like chalk one up to uh, uh, put another one in the neurodivergent Tobias column, just like mm-hmm. misreading situations or being unsure of how to read a situation. And so just removing yourself from it. Mm hmm. And to be clear, this is also like a trauma response. Mm-hmm. Like assuming people think the worst of you because you've been told mm-hmm. your shit. And mm-hmm. so you've internalized it. Yeah. <sighs> My boy. It It is, it continues to be just the tragedy of Tobias that the war is the best thing that could have happened to him. Mm-hmm. 
And like that, you know, it, it reminds me very strongly of just the, the way that, especially the U.S. military is used, um, Poverty is used as a U.S. military recruitment tactic mm-hmm. um, because it is one of the few ways that people can uh, claw their way out of the poverty cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they <laughs> they target low income people like on purpose they know that this like like they will go to lower income high schools on purpose they will court like they they court them and they use some of these tactics of like you don't have to your life doesn't have to be like this we can give you you know uh, reliable food and shelter and uh, yeah, you want to go to college? We'll pay for you to go to college. Exactly. You can look after your family. Like, yeah. I it, mean, I and this is true here as well. Um, I'll be intrigued to see soon with the um, fucking chaos of things. I know if numbers go up. Hmm. Um, but as economic surety has increased, uh, the military football go, yeah, now we've got less people signing up. Just like, mm, because they aren't, they don't need to. Mm-hmm. What does that tell you about it? And it's incredibly gross. Uh, the, the, and again, points to the analyst, like military culture and the attitudes that, you know what, we need, I'm going to be flippant here. So I apologize. But like, we need cannon fodder. We need bodies to mm-hmm. throw out there. Let's go get some poor kids. We'll just make sure they're fed and they've got nothing, so they'll be grateful. We don't even have to treat them super good. Yeah. It's disposable I've actually, bodies. I've um I've started reading uh The Way of Kings, the the um the Knights Radiant trilogy. That's uh I started reading it because uh mine and Andrew's anniversary was just a few days ago, and I wanted to surprise him. Like, hey, I'm reading this thing that's really important to you. Um, and one of the main characters uh, becomes a slave and is put into what is called a bridge crew. And the bridge crew uh, has to run out in front of the army um, to put bridges down over these chasms so that the army can cross the chasms. Um, Jesus. Yeah. But what this means is that this bridge crew is running out in front of the army at the enemy soldiers. Mm -hmm. And they are expressly forbidden from having any kind of armor or shields. Because if the bridge crew run out front unarmored, then the enemy can't resist that target and they fire on the bridge crews instead of at the army. Fucked up. Yep. And it's just like it the armies send out the most disposable to them first. Mm-hmm. Exactly as you said, because it it I mean it makes a really twisted and awful sort of sense. You know, you don't want your 
better trained, more seasoned warriors to mm-hmm. bear the brunt yeah, of mo- fire. Okay, we put money into those. Yeah, like it it makes sense from a, that point of view, but like holy fuck. Yeah, it's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, like it makes me think of how the Yerks use the taxons. Um, mm-hmm. they don't really care about taxon bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, to a lesser extent, the Hork-Bajir, they treat them as mm-hmm. lesser because they think they're dumb. Uh, but they're also more precious because they are able-bodied and there are few mm-hmm. of them. But like... Yeah, yeah. yeah and, it, and it's not entirely the same, but the revelation about the Howlers as well mm-hmm. are just like, they're children so they don't question what it is they're doing. Mm-hmm. They'll just do as they're told and go into places and do the thing. Mm-hmm. They are not given... And it's about like, people being forced into situations where they don't have a choice otherwise it's the utter yep. removal of agency yeah and it's just made when you add on top of like parasitic you know uh <laughs> mind control slugs on top of that <laughs> like it becomes even it becomes less subtle it's just like yes this mm-hmm. is very much there is no agency here mm-hmm. um and you have to wonder like I appreciate that all, but when you think about it, and they say, "Oh, like well, we, well, we throw the attack, the attacks on anything," that's also true of the Yerk controllers in there. Mm-hmm. Like all of these Yerks considered disposable. Like, yeah, if you're a high enough up Yerk, you might somebody might pick you up and get you to a new host body, mm-hmm. maybe. But we've it's been established like Yerks will exit a body before it dies; otherwise, they're stuck in there; they'll die. Right, mm-hmm. they have to leave before the moment of death. Mm-hmm. Um. So again, the Yerk military just like yeah. Well, these are just all like a bunch of like Yerks who have never seen the home world, never known the pools originally. Just like yeah, you're getting fed though, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And you want that Candrona, don't you, bet kids? Now be mm-hmm. good soldiers, get in the tax on, and go fight. Hmm. Getting the tax on Shinji. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sad that neither August nor Brian will ever hear that joke. <laughs> I'll I'll put it in uh out of con- I'll just pop it in here. Maybe they'll see it next time they record. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I wrote Danielle. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh it's I mean it's part of the I mean the actual for real thesis of Animorphs is war bad, right? Yes. Um sometimes war necessary, but it always bad. And uh, God, it's just, it's, K.A. knew what kind of message they wanted to get across from the beginning, and they just continued to pound it in. Do you get it mm-hmm. yet? Do you get it yet, mm-hmm. kids? 
Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm pretty sure that I have read like, um, cause Michael Grant has done a few AMAs, uh, mm-hmm. and I've read comments and stuff in response to that where people are like, yeah, thank you for writing this because it, it stopped me from going into the military <laughs> because mm-hmm. I thought that was, uh, the way to go. And then I read this and was like, oh, maybe not. Hmm. But yeah, we should keep going. We should keep We We allocated four hours for a reason. <laughs> uh, so Cassie is having. Up. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Back to Cassie. Cassie wakes up, she's having nightmares of the the call, the voice that we saw in number four, the message, um, which is Axe is calling out. And God, I wonder, Tobias, no, because the reason they gave for why Tobias was getting it is because he was stuck in Morph, and so he wouldn't be getting it. Mm-hmm. God. Uh, but Cassie's still getting the message from Axe. Um, and without any context, it's fucking horrifying. <laughs> yeah, it, like she describes it as a nightmare and f- more than fair. Mm-hmm. Just like a weird voice from across the ocean in this alien looking forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, she can't get back to sleep. So she goes out to the barn. Uh, And uh we have this upsetting observation, like, but also kind of relatable, like, oh, Cassie is an anxiety anxiety queen representation, just like who has done mm-hmm. research into things like schizophrenia, like mm-hmm. out of fear, uh just mm-hmm. sort of like bless because mm-hmm. like 'cause in to her, like she's like I'm I'm hearing voices that aren't there. Because that's mm-hmm. how it feels mm-hmm. to her. And that has got to be so distressing if, you know, you have a vivid imagination, as we know Cassie does. We know she reads a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And then you start hearing this voice and thought speak carries emotional weight. And we're going to mm-hmm. we're gonna go to Axe in a hot second. And he is having a shit time, mm-hmm. <laughs> understandably. Um, but hearing that and feeling that, no wonder she feels like shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's having these borderline hallucinations as well. Um, mm-hmm. Visual hallucinations, I should say, in addition to the auditory ones. Um, of things being wrong, of expecting to see a hawk in the barn where there isn't one and there isn't no re- there isn't a reason for them any- for one to be there. Visions of Jake and Rachel and Marco, even though like Marco has never been to the barn. Um yeah, it's uh, she she's having a hard time because she is having these hallucinations and it's like I don't I don't know what this means. Mm-hmm. Um, and for once, you know, mental illness isn't treated like a joke or something. You know, yeah, like her fear is 
presented us to us the reader as an understandable thing that mm-hmm. she's experiencing mm-hmm. um and even though we have an offhanded comment from when she talked to her mom about like schizophrenia she's like yeah no teenagers just your, your brains are doing weird shit it's okay mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it's very like parent trying to reassure energy rather mm-hmm. than being dismissive to be fair but mm-hmm. um yeah like danielle says compared to how some of the ways this series has depicted um mental illness yeah it's it's a stark improvement yeah it's treated with gravitas but not with Mm. like uh distaste Mm. i guess is the best way like she's afraid of it but it's not yeah demonized it's not demonized Mm -hmm. um and we cut to Axe, and it's day 10. Uh, Axe is alone in the dome, sh- in the dome under the water. He is, uh, beginning to think that there is no rescue coming. Uh, he's practicing tail fighting against a, a dummy of a Horkbajir controller that he has made out of, like, sticks. Um, he's very in his head. Um, Mm -hmm. like the, apparently the, the dome ship, uh, is powered in such a way that it's, it, it, he could live out his entire life in this dome. Just fine under the water, except that like, yeah, like he can't do that <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Elfangor's probably dead. The Yerks will find the dome eventually, and also a life in isolation sounds horrific, um, mm-hmm. especially for a social species like Andalites are. Um, there's an excellent moment. Where he, you know, he charges at this uh, dummy that he has made, cuts its head off, and then he turns back to it uh, later and the head is still on it. Um, Which is, again, that indication of reality isn't quite right. Like, it's unstable in this timeline. Mm -hmm. Um, He admires the different fish and stuff. Uh, outside of the dome, but he doesn't really have any idea of what is out there besides what swims past the dome. He admires a shark. Uh, I love his names that he mm-hmm. comes up with for the creatures. Mm-hmm. I couldn't suss out all of them. Um, yeah. What, what does he describe them as? I think it's one of them is the a blue blade. Oh, it's in the next maybe. chapter. Yeah, because I don't I don't think the because the shark is the blue blade, but that I think uh-huh. that name comes in the next Axe chapter. But yeah, yes, yeah, big are mouth, awesome. runny eyes, swimming bird, and blue blade. So big mm-hmm. mouth is a whale. It's got to be. <laughs> I assume 
thinking like whale Ooh. sharks with the big mouth. Mm. I haven't got a clue about the runny eyes or the swimming bird. I'm like, what fish looks like a bird? <laughs> or what Axe would think of as a bird. Right. So it's just like, so there's a catfish bird fish? Mm. <laughs> Tilts head sideways trying to picture. Uh, Maybe it's a it's a stingray of some kind. Although that doesn't really make sense because he's deep in the ocean. And they're yeah, more, but you uh, know, yeah, shallower like reefs. Mm-hmm. The, but yeah, I can see how like a, a ray of some kind, something that like moves through the water like like it's flying, could look mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, this is not an important thing for us to dwell on. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've done this. <laughs> um. But we, we cut back to Tobias, uh, day 21, so three weeks in, and uh, he is at uh, the sharing, playing pool, or being taught how to play pool. Mm-hmm. Um, this old guy called Bill, uh, who's a high schooler, who's been assigned to him as a guide, as, they, as the sharing calls them. Um, at first he thought this is a pity thing. Um, but actually it is sort of standard practice with the sharing. It's like after you've, uh, once you at your second meeting, they'll assign you a guide who can answer your questions and they'll hang out with you and talk with you, you know, nice friendly stuff. Mm-hmm. Fucking cults. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but, and uh, he, because it's Tobias, he's very in his head about it. Um, misses the first shot. We see him take, apologizes, and it sucks uh, because Bill is so nice to Tobias. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know it's not real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see later how not real it is. Hmm. But, like, this guy, and, you know, here's a fun thing, because I'm fairly certain N-dimensional space, if it is real, is not a thing that maybe they teach in high school. Yeah. Maths or physics. Because um, uh, when you become a full member, you can think of multiple dimensions. But how Tobias is already thinking in three and how he only just missed the shot, so he should try it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and he blushes when he's being complimented. And he's like, when was the last time, if any, anyone has said anything nice to Tobias? Yeah. I think it's kind of that it occasionally happened in school, like the one good teacher. Mm-hmm who recognized mm-hmm. him when he went to the dance, but he's certainly not used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in, in Tobias's own words, his compliment may have been sincere or not, I wasn't sure, but I'd take it for what it was worth. There hadn't been all that many compliments in my life. Um, so, you know, be sad about that, because I know I am. Yep. yep. But he has his doubts about the sharing, like, even when things are going good, part of him seems to not vibe with it. And I think that, that again, could be partially trauma response, just, like, not feeling safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sucks. It's like, oh, kid, your instincts are, are so bang on. Mm-hmm. Um, because Tobias is insightful, because he pays attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but this bell guy is bigging Tobias up. Um just like, I mean, you've never played pool before? Dang, like, we've all got hidden abilities, like, things we don't know. Um, and Tobias second guesses his own suspicions 
because just like mm, I'm just being cynical, like my uncle. It's mm-hmm. possible that some people are nice, mm-hmm. and it's like, buddy, <laughs> ah, mm-hmm. it's sad. Um, but they have a sit down meeting. This is the thing that the sharing does right? every couple of meetings. Get down, you hear the sharing's philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but while at this meeting, uh, Tobias sees Tom, uh, Jake's brother, and uh, Jake himself, who has clearly been dragged along. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get this reveal that, like, um, this little bit of detail, like, you, age is irrelevant when becoming a full member. Mm-hmm. Um, any disposable bodies. Um, mm-hmm. But talking about like uh, this speaker, just like uh, speaking about how the lonely individual in society had been overemphasized in our culture. There was no true achievement unless you were part of something greater. You had to serve in order to achieve. You had to join with a larger reality. And that's what's fascinating in a horrifying way reading that. It's like that's the most upsetting combination of self-help bullshit and fascism. Mm-hmm. It's real upsetting. Mm-hmm. Like, be part of something greater than yourself. It's just like, uh, the, like I suppose, it's just, uh, the valorizing death thing. But then Yerks have a touch of that too. Mm-hmm. But, um, and this will come up again and again as we have these chapters with Tobias interacting with the sharing, just like, uh, the late great Edris really did a fucking cracking job of founding the sharing and its yeah. founding principles because yeah. this shit works. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we get we get some statistics later and it's like, damn. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, even as this speaker talks, we just have, again, this... I suppose insight into Tobias as he just looks at the back of Jake's head and he feels drawn to Jake and he doesn't know why, which mm-hmm. I think does pay dividends to Cassie's breaking down mm-hmm. of the reality, but also part of because of who Tobias is as well. Just mm-hmm. and he sight puts his being drawn towards Jake as like an aspirational thing that mm-hmm. maybe one day he could have a life like Jake's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we have chapter eight, which is actually a bit of a relief. Um, mm-hmm. And up until the last couple of paragraphs, it's just a fucking hoot and a half. Yeah, because you thought we were in an alternate timeline, kids. <laughs> Marco's flirting with Rachel, and she likes it, guy. <laughs> Truly, the darkest timeline. Yeah. Um, I'm being facetious because this scene is incredibly cute. It is. Like it's... they're on a field trip at the museum. Uh, there's a film DNA Miracle Molecule, um, and Marco's managed to get a seat next to Rachel for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he points out that she's trapped next to him because the the thing is the the theater is full. Um, and just his opening gambit is just like, you know, you should go out with me. And for five <laughs> seconds, Rachel's just staring ahead, like eyes narrowed. And eventually just like, I don't think so. Is it because I'm roughly three feet shorter than you? No answer. Stoic stare. Is it that you think I'm cuter than you? Yeah, that would be it. 
It's just, yeah, and then you know, girls love a guy with a sense of humor. Yeah, if he's Leonardo DiCaprio, Adam Sandler, not so much. And that makes Marco laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he loves that she can banter with him mm-hmm. and that she can keep up. Mm-hmm. And I like we get inside that one. Marco and Rachel are very, they dislike each other uh, mm-hmm. or they have that conflict, um, but they are so very alike in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got the back and forth and she keeps ribbing him back, but it's not really mean Yeah, in the way that we've seen Rachel be before. It is just like, yeah, no, I don't want to do this. Um, and like joking about bad memories and, uh, and he acknowledges that not only is she, she's very funny. Um, and it's like. You know, I could supply references, Rachel. Plenty of females have enjoyed the company of Marco the Magnificent. Females? What species? And that has him bursting out really loud, laughing loud, and he gets shushed. And uh, he looks back to me, like, sinks down, and then Rachel is uh, smiling a little bit. He thinks. Maybe a little, a, t- a tiny smile? A tiny. Um, but he, proving that Marco, I know, fool, he does sort of, like, waits. And then she says something to him, talking about the guy presenting the movie, or Paul Schaefer. It's like, ha, she was enjoying talking to me. She started it up again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then she's like, oh, man, what's Jake going to say if I start going out with his cousin? Um, <laughs> I'm like, what would Jake say if I started going out with the cousin? He was my best friend, had been forever. He was, he'd always been there for me. He was the only guy in the world I could absolutely count on. So if he didn't approve of me and Rachel, hey, it would make me real sad to say bye-bye, Jake. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it just makes me laugh. Um, But he's like, he's riding that high that she seems to like him a little bit. But then the film breaks down, Mm -hmm. uh, doing the whole thing, that cool thing where like film stock catches and burns and house lights come up, the kids... He struggles to stay with Rachel as the kids like pour out of the uh, the theater, and uh, he struggles to keep up with her. But because uh, of how quickly she can move, but she has this ability to just cut through crowds like she's surrounded by a force field. Mm-hmm. Um, but he manages to do so. Uh, Melissa has to go to the because we've had the Melissa Chapman's just here, carrying on. Um, so, and he notes the rareness of seeing a girl by herself, because uh, often they're surrounded by their friends. And he's like, well, what do you think? I think many things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Rachel is great in this book. She's great. <laughs> I just like getting to see it. And this is a post, because we've had so many ghost-written books. And to see, like, K.A.'s Rachel again, mm-hmm. with all, like, her ferocity, yes, but her humor as well is just mm-hmm. really refreshing but uh this cute moment is drastically cut off because marco sees his mum just there in the museum materializing out of thin air yeah she's wearing a wig but it's absolutely her and then she just books it Mm-hmm. Um, heading for the escalators Marco tears after her um, 
I think Rachel is like, your mum, isn't she? Just like, and Marco's off and running. And as we'll briefly find out, Rachel does immediately go with him. Mm-hmm. Which is just one, as, as Cassie said before, Rachel's all about the hunt. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she doesn't hesitate to do this is yeah. just, we love her. Yep. Sees Marco in such distress and is like, nope, I gotta help that. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like this interaction between the two of them because it could so easily have slid into Marco the misogynist that we have seen before. Mm. Um, but like the fact that we see Rachel kind of enjoying herself in the banter as well in the way that we know that Rachel and Marco can banter well together. Um, and I, especially the point at the end where he like, doesn't say anything. And then she rejoins the conversation. Uh, it's like, uh, uh, the, the thing where it's like, how can you tell if an animal video is cute? Right? Like if, mm-hmm. If if you're doing something to the animal and then you stop and then the animal reinitiates it, um, then uh-huh. it's an indication that, you know, the animal wants this kind of interaction. And I don't want to compare Rachel to an animal, but at the same time, there's that but, principle. I, mean, I think this is also a good uh, indicator for a young kid reading this book mm-hmm. going, okay, well, if somebody, if you think you're having a good time, maybe wait a bit. And if a girl keeps initiate if girl then reinitiates it she wants to talk to you and it's okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah uh but it's good and i like i like that they do show this chemistry between them because they do have mm. a sort of chemistry like normally right because of all the banter yeah. that they do yeah like as i think we've said before in previous episodes like in a different show or if this was older characters especially mm-hmm. the shipping would be palpable because it's like that acerbic kind of bickering that mm-hmm. they like to make cishets do yeah yeah uh and here we get another axe chapter uh which is really plus just this kid plus this kid <laughs> um who spends several days uh capturing and then acquiring uh, the shark, which he calls a blue blade. And this is where we get the uh, names, the fun names. And this is, this is savvy, because he has, like, the airlock open to fill with water so various creatures can, like, swim in and out. Mm-hmm. And then, like, finally when something does, it, like, closes the port, the gets the ship's force field back up releasing mm-hmm. like a certain amount of the water so he can get in and then finds out that the shark is really dangerous it's like okay <laughs> can we like pin the shark in place then <laughs> hey force field uh can we do this uh there is like one uh error here i did or is it in this scene or is it later um yeah it describes this shark's skin as being rough textured weird because as everyone knows sharks are super smooth yeah I, it's weird. Yeah. Way to, <laughs> way to <laughs> propagate just a weird myth, Kay. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> if you have not seen that comic, I'm very sorry. Or the uh, extended interactions on Twitter and Tumblr after it. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Yeah, sharks are just really smooth. Just super smooth. It's weird. Um, <laughs> but he acquires the shark morph. Uh, 
And as he gives this sort of rundown of the traits uh, he's aware of, um, I didn't know how dangerous Earth's oceans might be, but I felt this creature would be safe in them. Good instincts. XMLI. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I also do like that he, uh, he does like try to smack this shark a couple of times in yeah. the nose with the flat of his tail blade. <laughs> and this shark um, does not care. <laughs> yeah, no. Nah. Like he keeps like enough water so the the shark like so the presumably so the shark's gills are covered. Mm -hmm. Like so it can't swim around, but it isn't like in distress. Like it's got mm -hmm. no um Y axis to, to move around in. Mm -hmm. Um but it's enough for the shark to give Axe grief. Uh and try to take a chunk out of him. So and it's just yeah. the I know he doesn't have a whole lot in the way of choices anyway, but this is some big Steve Irwin energy from our favourite <laughs> Blue Alien. Uh, one of our favourite Blue Aliens. Shout out to my boy Stitch. Um, just like, mm, that's a cool looking creature. I'm going to touch it. <laughs> like, oh, it hurt me. Well, I am trying to do something it doesn't like. I'm going to try harder to touch it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yep. Good shit. Yeah. Um, but more for quiet, we cut back to our primo uh most dangerous person in the Animorphs world, uh Rachel. Um chasing after Marco, chasing after this woman. Mm -hmm. um, it's a fun little chase scene. Yeah, I do like we get this. I he was chasing a woman who he couldn't possibly be chasing. Maybe I wanted to help him, but that's not what it felt like. It felt like, I don't know, like I liked chasing someone. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to shout out to uh, Vissel One with the brutal maneuver after getting in through a uh, revolving door out of the mall, mm -hmm. or the mall, out of the museum, realizing <laughs> that Marco's right behind her, pushes the door back and cracks it off Marco's face as he gets yep. into the section behind her. Mm -hmm. And that's just like, <laughs> oh. mm -hmm. um but and he's like and shit rachel says oh, are you okay he's like go after her and she's impressed because like oh he can focus cool mm -hmm. she obviously is smart enough to take a side door mm -hmm. um and keeps chasing after realizes uh and she realizes oh this woman has a wig uh so they're having to look again for her uh, she has dark hair. I guess that. Uh, just great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But um, Vissel One, we see, who is pissed as all hell. Um, and Rachel just gives it back. Just mm -hmm. like, uh, I'm pissed off too. Great, you won't scare me. But <laughs> the um, the kids end up cornered in an alleyway. And this this chase scene is great. Mm -hmm. um, but we see a moment where um, Vissel, who we know to be Vissel One is on a cell phone and it turns out she was calling reinforcements mm -hmm. um, we get some not like this is a let me tell you Vissel One versus Rachel is a fight I wasn't expecting to get in this book <laughs> but this is like full of breaking bottles ready to go mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it's a right knockdown kind of a, a brawl Mm -hmm. Um, and but she's able to make it get uh, a weapon away from a guy holding Marco. Oh no, she just cracks him on the elbow with a bottle. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they end up in a blind alleyway, um, and Rachel gives Marco Booth like a full on like gymnast, like whoop. Uh, you love to see it. Of um, <laughs> up to the fire escape, bringing down the ladder, and they're just they're running, and um, and there's this lovely touch of the reality of the situation, um, because the stairs pop back up after them as those stairs do, but they don't. We weren't going to stop and toss back off any clever comic book take that villain lines. We were going to climb until we ran out of stairs, mm-hmm. um, and then. Um, there's gunfire that at first Rachel doesn't recognize as gunfire because why would she? Why would mm-hmm. she have encountered that sound? Um, but they're shooting, they keep going, they go over the top of the fire escape onto the roof, and then the gunfire stops only to be replaced by laser fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we cut back to Axe, who... Uh, is morphing the shark, has let the shark go, um, begins to morph the shark, briefly panics when his stalk eyes disappear, uh, and then b- a bug fighter shows up, coming for the blade, not for the, for the dome ship, uh, and he's like, well, don't have a choice now, morph. Uh, he morphs the shark, gets out of there just in time. Uh, to miss the explosion of the dome ship. Um, he is briefly kind of overtaken by the shark instincts in the sense that he has this kind of, uh, overabundance of confidence because it is his ocean. Um, and the, the instinctual imperative of just move, kill, eat. Um, which again is some shark slander, but whatever. It's nothing new. Uh, and the, the bug fighter blows up the dome ship, or the dome, and, uh, starts to fire at Axe in the water. Uh, but Axe is able to get away, and then the, the bug fighter sends taxons after him, and he just fucking Beats the shit Unsur- out of these taxons. Yeah, uh, unsurprisingly, a presumably great white shark versus uh, our thin paper-skinned slug friends uh, mm. in water. The shark wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a tiger shark is his shark more. Um, well, originally, yes. Oh, uh, that's fair, yeah. Um... And yeah, he, he beats the shit out of these taxons. The taxons are mm-hmm. in pieces floating in the water. And he, I flailed at nothing, bit and slashed the empty water. I would have bitten myself if I could. And then suddenly it was over. The madness gone, replaced by ice cold indifference. I swam away. My andalite mind regained control for now. My first battle, six taxons, and I had learned one thing. If the rest of Earth's species were anything like this blue blade, the Yerks had picked the wrong planet. Which is just beautiful. <laughs> um, 
I mean, way to go, Earth. Like, clearly, if we want to ingratiate alien species to us, we need to introduce <laughs> them to sharks first. <laughs> uh, uh, we cut to Jake, who Tom is basically, like, wheedling to come with him to another sharing meeting. Jake really doesn't want to go. Um, plus, he has homework, and Tom is like, well, when we get back, I'll help you do your homework. Um, if you just come with me and he's like, ah, fine. Um, and, uh, at that moment, Cassie calls him, uh, <laughs> for, uh, so normally in, in normal books, uh, when Cassie calls Jake, it's because something horrible has happened. But in this case, we get this delightful interaction. Um, so the phone rang. Tom stepped into the hallway to grab it. It's your honey pie, he said. I flushed. I couldn't control it. I shot him a dark look that just made him laugh. I grabbed the receiver from his hand. Hi. It's me, Cassie. Yeah? Um, hi. What's up? I, I, uh, I was wondering if, I don't know, in the background, I heard a voice I knew. Rachel. Good grief. Do I have to do it for you? <laughs> Do you want to study together? Cassie blurted out in a rush. Is Rachel there? I asked. Yes, but she'll be leaving sooner than she thinks if she doesn't watch out. I sighed. On the scale of things I wanted to do, study with Cassie was a nine. Going to the sharing was about a one. A minus one. But I'd already told Tom I'd do it. Oh, or, or Cassie, I really would like to, but... Oh, no problem, uh, she said too quickly. I was just... It was only that... Cassie, there is nothing I'd rather do than study with you. Really. Except maybe get some tips from Michael Jordan. But I promised Tom I'd go to this stu- I stopped myself. Tom could be right out in the hall. This meeting. A meeting? Yeah. It's this thing called the sharing. Silence. Are you there? Yeah. Is something the matter? I- What is it? I don't know, she said. She sounded confused. Worried. I don't know. I really don't. I relaxed a little. Not much. You know, maybe you're just upset over this thing with Rachel and Marco. Over them going out? No, over the whole thing that happened with them. You know, Marco thinking he saw his mom and all. The guys with the guns. The what? <laughs> I slapped my forehead. <laughs> Rachel didn't tell you? Tell me what? Cassie demanded. Then obviously to Rachel, what didn't Rachel tell me? I thought you'd get all worried, Rachel said in the background. Sorry, I said. Marco hasn't shut up about it, and I just assumed Rachel told you. Jake, I have to go and cause Rachel serious bodily pain. I understand. Listen, Cassie, how about tomorrow night? I mean, for studying together. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. Go kill Rachel now. I stepped back and out into the hall and hung up the phone. Cool. Cassie, tomorrow night. My insides were churning. Oh man, what was I going to talk about with her? Maybe we could talk about why Rachel would keep something secret that Marco wouldn't stop bringing up. And maybe we could talk about, about why Cassie got weird when I said the words, the sharing. That interaction is so good, though. Like, again, I love how this underscoring of the tragedy of these kids is just getting to see them be kids mm -hmm. with each other. Yeah. Because you got to make it clear what they're losing by going back to the OG timeline. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, like, things unravel pretty fucking quickly. Uh, they not do. Not just in terms of, like, reality unraveling, but in terms of, like, they get pulled... Well, we'll get there. Uh, but, yeah, it's just... It is inherently tragic that we get this glimpse of them being actual literal children. And, like, these little details that in like, in another book would mean something totally different. Like, Cassie calling, and uh, Jake like, not pretending that it's just because of a crush, right? And Tom could be right out in the hall, so he has to stop himself from saying anything incriminating. Um, uh, and again, I more love Cassie and Rachel. things stay the same. Exactly, yes. And I love Rachel and Cassie's relationship, especially because we just haven't seen their relationship like this since 19. Yeah, there's been, as much as the two of them care about each other and would absolutely throw down and mm -hmm. actively mourn, there has been that distance between them. Mm -hmm. Because Cassie, whether she does judge Rachel for the person mm -hmm. she's becoming. Mm -hmm. And Rachel knows she does. Mm -hmm. And it's like this unspoken thing between them now. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, also just like, it also gives us a hint this as to what Jake and Rachel's relationship is like. Mm -hmm. That we just don't get. Just like, oh yeah, no, yeah, no, kill Rachel. <laughs> just like that fun back and forth like mm -hmm. you can see the affection there between them and you can because sometimes like there's always like oh, well, Rachel's family but mm -hmm. there isn't always feel like there's a lot of affection between mm -hmm. Jake and Rachel as family members but here we get to see inklings of that mm -hmm. and it does feel a little like on reading it that this was a chance for KA to maybe add some shading to these relationships that there yeah. just hasn't been opportunity before because they've been telling a story about what it happens when you get pulled into war and yeah. how that changes you mm -hmm. yeah just a little gift mm-hmm mm-hmm and I love, and I love the setting gift. <laughs> I love the almost throwaway uh, line that's Rachel and Marco going out now. Mm hmm. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> uh, which, which also explains why Marco wouldn't stop bringing it up. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Incredibly on brand. Yeah. Um, but hey, again, away from fun, entertaining cuteness to a Tobias chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and how he now feels comfortable at the sharing and how weird it is for him to feel comfortable anywhere. Um, how when some ki new kids there started teasing him, full members shut them down, how nobody gives him any grief there. Yeah, he feels like he belongs or that he could belong. Mm -hmm. And it's now the night um, that he has to decide to join or not, become a full member or stop coming. Um, and it isn't a hard choice for him because uh, what else has he got? 
And there's also the little side factor of uh, he had another run-in with Andy and Tap Tap uh, in the locker room at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tobias figured he'd be safe because there's like two dozen other kids there. Um, and they tried to, they went to start stuffing him into a locker. Uh, he was yelling, people were laughing at him, and nobody intervened. But then those two kids um, from the first... I think it's different two kids. Oh, it's a, oh, the, but okay. So just two ordinary kids he'd seen at the sharing come over, um, and like say, no, let him go. And one of these kids, this (laughs) walks over to a weight rack, picks up a 20 pound weight and carries it back. It's just like, let him go or I'll bury this weight in your head. Um, it's just like, (laughs) okay. They let him go. To be clear, mm-hmm. um, uh, some more kids arrive as the class changes. Another kid from the sharing moves in, and now it's three against two. Uh, and they don't hang around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tobias doesn't even get a chance to thank them. Uh, but they'd made their point. That's what it meant to be sharing. Not throwing your weight around or anything like a gang or whatever. Mm, sure, Jan. But just the <laughs> knowledge that there were people backing you up looking out for you. Um, but he's he's chatting with Bill, um, and he's just like, and he says to Bill, "Yeah, and no, I'm gonna do it." Gets a gets a hug, uh, an arm length hug, which is just again those hints at mm-hmm. the otherness of it. Um, and we're like, oh well, it's a big step, yada yada. Um, the how the individual has to give something up to get something in return. Um, you trade a bit, little bit of freedom for a lot of belonging to something bigger than yourself, bigger than you can imagine. And this has got this is enough for us going. Mm, okay, what's he talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, and explains how what Tobias has experienced so far is just the surface. Uh, they're going to change the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you have no idea of the potential inside you. You have no idea what you can become, what you can accomplish. I nodded like I had some clue. I didn't, but it excited me. It scared me too a little. But there was something about the sharing they don't tell you right at first. You have a few weeks, a month even, but then you have to choose. You can stay and be a full member or you have to leave. Which is just so fucking insidious. Yep. I mean, they're a cult. They're bad guys. But just like that simple thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. For the you, people that have nothing else. Yeah. It, it is love bombing. You give someone who mm. doesn't have anything everything that they want, and then you threaten to take it away if they don't commit. Mm-hmm. And you act all sad about it, like, oh, you know, we're going to miss you, but you can't come anymore if you don't put a slug in your head, you know, like... You re- you we really, don't want you to go. We don't but... want we don't want to see you go. <laughs> but we just can't spend resources on people who um, aren't willing to help push the the organization forward. Like, holy mm-hmm. shit! <laughs> Idris like really, ma- yeah, mask off. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is this is the crux of it. Yeah, and it's the fact that. 
really it's the fact that they don't tell you this up front, right? Like that's that's the kicker is because if you knew going in like, oh, I get to test drive this for a few weeks and then decide, you know, that's one thing. But it's another thing if you become dependent on all of this positivity Mm -hmm. and then they throw it at you. Oh, yeah, by the way, you have to choose. Like, because mm-hmm. in the first one, you realize that they're courting you. In the second yeah. one, you just think that they've accepted you. Mm-hmm. Ugh. My boy. Like, he really mm-hmm. is their perfect target. Yeah.